and this is The Courier Talking Football. I'm Sean Hamilton and this week I'm joined by Jim Spence and Alan Temple. Well guys, with Eric off, it's down to the dream team here to get to the bottom of exactly what on earth has happened at St Johnston, Dundee and Dundee United over the last week. It's uh, quite incredible really um, for football in Tayside. I don't think we've ever really had a had a week quite like it with all three clubs involved. It's no easy task. Um, where on earth do we start? Um I, I suggest let's go backwards, we'll flip it, start with the most recent one, and Dundee United first, Mickey Mellon. It's um, the parting of the ways I think we've all seen coming for a good few months now. Actually, I was going to say weeks there, but no, it's more like months, isn't it? It's happened, a joint statement would suggest it's largely amicable. Jim, do you think, looking at it, this is maybe the right move for both parties at this stage? I, I I think so, Sean. I think it's absolutely the right move for both parties. I think um, the both parties have got what they needed from this particular uh, venture. Um, Mickey Mellon has um, kept United up, <coughs> which I suspect is what he was charged to do in you know his first and only season in charge at United. Um, and keeping United up, he's raised his profile quite dramatically. Scottish Cup semi-final place um, in charge of one of Scotland's biggest clubs, certainly one of their top six clubs. And um, that has, uh, I think, shone a light back down south uh, for him, where he will now return. I mean, he's you know, bear in mind, we're, we're talking about a fellow who has spent two-thirds of his life in England. He went down there when he was 16, uh, 16 70 years old as a boy. You know, he spent uh, the vast bulk of his life down there. That's 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 the, you know, the arena that he knows. It's a football landscape that he knows and is most comfortable with. I think, you know, there's been a combination of things up here. I think, um, I'm not sure he did settle to, you know, yeah. big Tony Asgard will tell you that the two got actually got in fine and they've known each other from, from their Glasgow days, you know, and, and that, that very often happens. People got in fine but simply have different, it'll be no different from journalists who got on very well but have different, you know, opinions about how a story should be run or the way a story should be tackled or handled or whatever. And I suspect there were some differences uh, in that and United have obviously want to go one way in terms of development of youth, an entirely different kind of structure that they want to uh, maintain Um I suspect that Mellon hasn't, um, and therefore he's heading off, having done what he was brought up to do, uh, and United are now ready to to head on with their plan and their new structure, which will be a three, four, five-year plan. So I think it, it suits both parties, and, and I th- I, you know, there has been a degree of um, equanimity about it on both sides. I don't think it's been a major falling out, um, but I, th- I do think it suits both parties. It certainly suits United fans, because the vast bulk of United fans have not been impressed with the quality and the style of football that, that United played under Mellon. Yeah, it's a bit of an odd one, Jim, in terms of the fans themselves, though, because when you think back to it, I mean, United are now looking for their, their sixth manager in, in, in six years, which is, you know, a, a fair old turnaround. But Mickey Mellon, in terms of the job he's done for with a side just, just coming straight up, I mean, they don't think there's too many holes you could pick in it other other than the the style of play, which was an issue for some United fans. But I think maybe maybe part of the problem might be that with no fans at any games, I mean, it, it, there's a sense in that he was kind of like hard to get to know as a United manager a wee bit, and, and maybe maybe there's yeah. a degree of separation from the fans there because of the circumstances. I I, I think I think there's some truth in in that, Sean. I mean, I have to be honest. I mean, you know. Um, I, uh, I, I I sensed that he was 
fairly uncomfortable with with um, with the Scottish media. Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously up here there's local media after uh, you know. Courier, Evening Telegraph, uh, you know the good guys. SAB, yeah, the good guys. You know, <laughs> will be after you every day. But you, you, you have obviously you've got you know representatives of, of um, national media. Although I, I, I actually, you know, modern, in a modern digital world, I don't think the term national media actually has any relevance anymore. You know, I, mean, I think you know when you can read, uh, you know, y- y- your stuff or Alan's stuff or my stuff um, online any place in the world. I think the, the term national media is, is, is a misnomer these days. But that, that, that's, I digress. Uh, I think the truth of the matter is, I thought he was uncomfortable. I think you know, life at, at Tranmere Rovers would have been much more tranquil. You know, probably what somebody from the Liverpool Echo, somebody from the local paper, and occasionally maybe, you know, uh, a local radio station popping in to see him. I think life would have been much more tranquil. I don't think he was used to the level of scrutiny um, and perhaps the passion. I mean, I, you know, I wouldn't get into this kind of Scottish fans are more passionate than English fans. I think that's that's a difficult one to stand up. But there is a, there is a degree of passion here and, and a degree of kind of uh, demand, you know, uh, for, for managers to be accountable and all the rest of that. And I think he maybe took, uh, took ill with that. He hadn't been used to it and I suspect that you know that was something that he, he took ill with I certainly know one one behind the scenes man who's been at Tannadice for a long long time who dealt with him regularly said he was a good guy to deal with but he wasn't that wasn't his forte he wasn't particularly comfortable I think in many respects he didn't really like the media that much I don't mean on a personal level I just didn't like doing it it wasn't a particularly his cup of tea you know so so you know to go back to your, your question I think it suits both parties fine now that he's gone Alan, it's kind of no shock to those of us on this beat um, that this is this has come now. I mean, you're obviously one of those guys now, Alan, uh, having come from more down towards Edinburgh and Livingston and what have you. But I mean, living down there yourself now, how how have people outside of the kind of Tayside bubble, if you like, taken it? Has, has there been some surprise um, expressed? Because as I said to Jim before, if you look at his record this season, I mean, it's 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 caused United fans a bit of consternation at various points, chiefly kind of around the style of play and what have you. But I mean, he, he doesn't seem to have done too badly with a newly promoted team. Has, has, has his departure caught people outside of Tayside by, by a bit of surprise, Alan? Well, from messages I'm receiving from sort of, you know, people you know from within football down here, there has been a sense of surprise. And the question is, where's he going? He must have something lined up or has there been a fallout? There must be some um, uh, kind of rancor behind the scenes. But uh, I think I think Mickey can be relatively proud of the job he's done. I agree with kind of what Jim's said there in terms of his uh, his first season at Dundee United. He's kept the team up. He's reached the semi-finals. I do understand the question marks over the style of football. I know fans would love to see their team play a certain way, but you could total football your way right back into the championship. That would have been very easy to do. And so I think he we've has... Seen, we've seen Dundee do it before. <laughs> so I think uh, this season can be written down as a as a success for, for Mickey Mellon. And he leaves the club in a stronger position than what he found it, I believe. So, and if that's how you judge a, a year in management, then he can be he can be proud of that. And I think, I mean, we're we're repeating ourselves in the sense of the how this suits both parties. I think Mickey Mel- Mellon has a a sense of how he would like to build a team, how he would like to progress a football team. And does that necessarily weigh up exactly with how Dundee United want to go forward in terms of building through their young players, in terms of playing and selling on uh, their own assets to to make that a a sustainable plan? I'm not sure those two uh, philosophies uh, necessarily 
married up uh, exactly. So I, I think both parties can be relatively satisfied and it now moves on to what's next for, for Dundee United. That's that's no small problem, is it? I mean, if, you, if you've got a situation whereby the, the wider club has a strategic direction of travel that involves a certain way of working and, and <coughs> the head coach, if you like, doesn't subscribe to that necessarily or sees too much risk in it for him. I mean, of course. I'm sort of speculating a little bit, but that that's that's not a small issue. That's 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 a fundamental problem, isn't it? And it's proved insurmountable. I think yeah. you look at the empirical reasons why this parting of the ways has occurred. It's not match results. It's not Scottish Cup performance. They reached the Ham- they reached Hamden. So the you know you're looking for reasons behind this, and you have the um, his familiarity with English football, which Jim shone a light on. It could be that, or more likely. The, the two parties just see the future in a slightly different way and no one's necessarily to blame for that but you know perhaps a year ago uh, things should have been made a little bit more clearer long term but fundamentally no one's to blame for it and both parties can just go their, their separate ways yeah Jim I mean thoughts very quickly seem to have turned and it's quite understandable really to who will replace Mickey Mellon at Tannadice at this point and this, uh, we, can, we can look back over his time which we have done but Time marches on, doesn't it? So, I mean, we've spoken here before about how United have been positioning their academy project sort of front and centre of their PR efforts um, over the last year or so. And a lot of money's been spent there um, from the owner, from the community trust, from the fans themselves through the Supporters Foundation. Um, Probably too much has been spent, you could say, for those principles not to be front and centre of, of... any prospective head coach's approach to it. Do you do you get a sense, Jim, of where United will be looking for Mickey's replacement? I mean, we, we, we've, we've spoken about the possibility of an internal one before. Externally, you know, there's the likes of John Hughes, or Stephen Robertson, or obviously there's internal candidates, and that's where you'll find the bookie's favourite, isn't it, Tom Courts? Um, it's an intriguing one. <clears throat> I mean, I've spoken to Tony Asgard about this, you know, and... Um, I, I, you know, the, the the suggestion is that the board will, will, will make this decision, and they will. You know, you, you've got. I mean, I think you know a lot of people, um, a, you know, have a a pop at the fact that you know Tony Asgar. A lot of people seem to think he has too much power at Tannadice. That may well be the case. It may not be the case. I mean, he has at the end of the day um, two owners in, in the states to answer to. You know, I mean, Mark Ogren uh, and his son. Um, I, I think play uh, mm-hmm. a relatively big part in, in things. They haven't put all their money in and take no part in things whatsoever. So they too will have a say along with Tony as a sporting director <coughs> and other board members. You know, so I don't think it will be a, a one man decision, but. When, when I think to some extent you've kind of got to go back here with the Mellon thing. Remember that, that Mellon wasn't the Mellon wasn't the kind of the chosen one, if you want. I mean, you know, at the time they were looking for a manager, Mickey Mellon came at the blue. I mean, there, there were strong suggestions that Malky Mackay was getting this job, and, and that, that you know there was a bit of kind of to and fro, and he didn't get the job. They were kind of hunting uh, for for a, a, an alternative candidate, and Mickey Mellon just appeared out the blue. Very few of us had our kind of you know fingers on the pulse with the Mickey Mellon one. It wasn't until a day or two beforehand that we started to get a feel for for that because let's be blunt, very few people would have suggested you know, when you'd say to United were looking for a manager, very few people would have said, why don't you go for Mickey Mellon so he came in, you know, so there was a bit of rush to and fro about that and if you think of the fact that when the Ogrens took over 
and, and with Tony Asgard as sporting director, yeah, he had a plan. He had a plan for the future, which was to change the way the club had been run from the days of Mike Martin as chairman, Stephen Thompson as chairman, and that very much involved, and some, to, to some extent, recreating or reinventing the wheel. You know, going back to the glory days when Jim McLean had, you know, a fantastic youth set up and youth academy set up and all the rest of it, and they saw youth as a way forward. Uh, now, Given the fact that they couldn't put those plans into place because, A, firstly, they were in the championship trying to get out under Robbie um, when they took over. And then the second year, you've got COVID. Um, you know, that kind of stymies your plans that, that, because in the first year, your key thing is to get up. Your second year, it's to stay up. Um, you know, and also at the same time as you're trying to stay up, you're trying to deal with COVID. You've got all these things that, in a sense, are stymieing the major development of, of of pushing forward your new your new kind of three, four, five year plan. Call it what it will, which is ultimately to go with youth, um, develop community. You know, you know, take on board modernity in your approach to football while paying homage to, you know, um, what's gone before and recreating that youth system. You've got all of that kind of stuff. Um, Going on, I think at Tannadice, and now for the first time they have they are about to be presented with a chance to really get that up and running. And what that requires is someone who absolutely uh, just doesn't just buy into it, but is absolutely yeah. integral. Uh, you know, to, to, yeah. uh, you know, laser focused on on the whole thing. And that's why, you know, um, I've got a feeling that, the, you know, even if they do bring someone from the outside, it'll have to be someone who absolutely buys in and he will buy into working together really, really closely with folk who are already uh, there like, um, you know, uh, uh, Tam Courts. Uh, I, 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 I don't think Adam Asgard, I've heard people talk about Courts and Asgard, I don't think Adam Asgard is going to be a, a number two, but he, he, can, he will continue to have a you know, um, a key role at the place. So whether Tam gets it or not is entirely arguable. I mean, you know, this depends, I think, in life on um, how, how you assess risk. You know, um, when I mean, I saw saw one or two people today saying Tom Courts has been, you know, uh, compared to Jim McLean. I don't think people, are, I don't think anyone's comparing Tom Courts to Jim McLean. Um, what what people are probably saying is Jim McLean came, uh, you know, as a novice coach from Dens Park to Dundee United and did dramatic things. Now, although I've said, you know, United are kind of recreating the wheel. There's no point in looking back to Jim McLean because the world has moved on since that in many respects. For starters, we've got Bosman and massive TV money, which means that United are unlikely to ever compete at the level. Uh, they did again, you know, as they once did under Jim McLean. But that's no good reason why you wouldn't pursue an approach which was fundamentally enormously successful for Dundee and recreating a philosophy right throughout the club where kids at every age are individually tailored, individually coached, you know, taking advantage of all the modern kind of methods of football analytics and sports science and sports psychology and all the rest of it and tailoring that and fitting that neatly into a package of a management structure, or should I say a coaching structure because it's not going to be a manager, a coaching structure which absolutely buys into all of that and ultimately, ultimately, as a business, so the idea is that you produce your own players, uh, hopefully too with more of a local content, because in United's great days, there are lots of local players, as well as that kind of nucleus of guys from Edinburgh and Glasgow uh, and all the rest. Of it. So you get youth, you get the, the kind of modern youth coming right through your system, knowing the philosophy of the club, the coaching uh, style of the club, the style of play of the club, tying that in neatly with neatly picked players, seasoned pros from, from elsewhere, and you sell on your good players every couple of years, whatever, and, and you're on the yeah. operation 
uh, as a standalone operation or or or, uh, or at worst with only minimal input financially needed from from Ogren because the club has to stand uh, alone at some stage. So taking all of that, and I know that was a long-winded way of saying it, taking all of that, I think you're going to need somebody who completely and utterly buys in to the philosophy. And that's why I think that um, it may well be an internal appointment or the vast bulk of them remaining internally, you know, uh, on, on on the the staff with somebody coming in who completely buys into that, and that may well, um, that may well knock out the the possibility of a great many, you know, names that that we, that we would talk about normally. Alan, I mean, I mean, from what Jim said there, and, and when you look at the crop um, of young players, many of them local actually that, that United have got on the verge of kind of the first team at the moment, the likes of Mockery and Mikasin. Nielsen, Fotheringham, Graham, Hottie, and you've got Logan Chalmers who's played a good bit more than any of them. Um, does 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 the timing kind of look right for for something? If if not a direct internal appointment, if it is somebody coming in from outside, this sort of continuity with the academy structure that's there, does does the timing feel right for something like that? Do you? Absolutely. You've if. Dundee United are going to properly invest in this academy and the infrastructure and sports science and all the tactical and development developmental things going on behind the scenes, then now is the time. That crop that you've just mentioned, I mean, standing head and shoulders, you've got someone like Kerr Smith, who, you know, it's 16 years old, coming into the side, already been tracked by some of the big guns in England. If you give these young players a chance, let them sink or swim, then they could make you a fortune or they could stick around and play 100 games and help you rise up the table. Of course, there's an element of risk and reward to that, but the risk of throwing these young players in, if they really believe in the talent, which all the mood music from Dundee United suggests that they they do believe in the talent, then the reward is absolutely sufficient you're talking about rising through the table with a core of your own you know you know how much supporters love that seeing one of their own you know shine and perform they can rise up the table with a core of their own players playing some decent stuff and then uh, cash in handsomely in the fullness of time that's the potential reward so i think if you're ever going to take the risk of a young head coach as it would be whether that's tam courts or whether that's looking externally to someone who uh, would would have a youthful outlook and not mind working under um, a, a more regimented structure in that regard then you're absolutely right now now is the time jim just finally on united then you've, you've actually just touched on this but the youth in United, it's it's obviously been tried before over over, over a, a fair period of time, and actually in, in in recent memory, it's been fairly successful. Um, before they went down to the championship, obviously, I think it was. God, you'll maybe correct me if you know off the top of your head, but I think it's something like ten million, just shy of that, came in through transfer fees during Stephen Thompson's time at the club. Um, so the the case for kind of making youth the centre of what United do. Actually, you could say it's been made a few years ago, um, and they're, they're maybe now at a position where they're trying to push on with it. Do, do you think that at this point, with that group of players that I've just mentioned, and obviously there'll be more coming through in younger age groups, do you think United have a chance here to be that club, if you like, to turn on that conveyor belt of youth? Well, I, I think I think what you, what you always have to look at, <coughs> Sean, are it, it, it's kind of like when people talk about let's get rid of the manager, let's sack the manager, you know, or or, or, or uh, some years ago when United were there, it was kind of like sack the chairman, you know, when they were watching Stephen Thompson, and and, and you know, and, and I always remember saying to people, and tell Thompson himself, yes, I agree with that, you need to go. 
but but the key question is, what, what, well, he wasn't very happy about it because I was doing some consultancy for him at the time, but I did. I knew that, and I'd written a column early on in the Courier about that, you know. And I managed to follow up with both uh, both him and, and, and some United fans about it because, well, they accepted he had to go. They wanted to be on the Monday, and I was saying, well, life doesn't work like that. So, you know, when you talk about wanting rid of a manager, you've got to say, that's great, yeah. What is A, who replaces him, and how soon can we do this, and what is the plan, you know? Now, I, I think to some extent that's what's going on here. Yes, United have traditionally, from Jim McLean's days, had youth, and they did it under Thompson too. I think the argument was in, in more recent times, it was maybe more hit, more hit and miss. They had a youth development system and all the rest of it. This this is kind of, this is a deep dive. This is, this is going in deep dive. This is going to be, it's kind of like, you know, in recent times, the Courier have, have, have profited immensely with a lot of the long reads that you guys are doing, the sort of stuff that journalists love to do, really getting about your stuff instead of being constrained by, you know, you know, 500, 600 words, getting about your stuff, you know, everything that's there in your, your brain, your mind, your knowledge you can utilise. It's, it's great. It's terrific for journalists. Similarly in football, when you want to kind of deep, clean, deep kind of, you know, get into the depths of a football club, you can see right from the root of it what needs is done. And, and you want to embed that philosophy right through the football club club and the coaches and the staff right throughout the club, you know, tying in everything, every aspect of the club, community and all the rest of it. So that's the key here, you know, can it be done in a much more um, deep way that, than it has been done previously? I mean, th th there is nothing new anywhere in saying we're going to develop our own kids. That's been done, you know, since kind of, you know, that's been done for 40, 50 years in Scottish football. United just happened to be one of the great ones at doing it. But this, I think, is going to permeate the very soul of the club, the very structure of the club. Now, is it, you know, is, does it potentially, could it be a, a rocky road? Could, could, could it potentially, you know, could it lead to disaster? Yes. But then, you know, so can, so can the approach of trying to sign kind of seasoned pros from elsewhere uh, on, on two-year two deals team, and yeah. throwing money at the first team and that doesn't work you know there are many approaches in football I remember at the time Stephen Thompson contemplated he was you know, some people were putting to him the idea of I mean I remember saying him, Look, you've got two you've got two approaches here you either go full tilt on youth or you take the Brentford approach, the diamonds and the rough approach. The difference with the Brentford approach was that you had about 15, 16 clubs around about you in the London area where you could probably do that. It was much more difficult in Scotland and, and, and much more dangerous to try that. Now, <clears throat> obviously, when, Ogre, when Mark Ogren has come in, the idea of the club has been, I think, sold to him by Tony Asgar and, and, and folks. This, this was the plan. This was the idea that was put to him. Here's what we need to do. Here is the way forward for a club of Dundee United size in Scottish football because to be honest with you it looks to me as though it's probably the best bet I don't think that, that you know, unless you've got you know because coaches come and go or managers come and go and and if you, you bring in a manager who's got a great eye for talent that's fabulous what happens when he goes your eye for talent dries up whereas if you permeate right through the coaching structure I mean Liverpool used to talk about the Liverpool way you know the, the boot room and, and, and the cult, what was embedded in the culture of the club from Shankly right through you know um to some extent, I think what United are probably trying to create here is the Dundee United way. That right through, you 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 end up in 10 years' time, you have a kind of collective mental history of the club where everybody just knows the kind of player that you look for, what you look for in young players when you're scouting them, you know, at Fairmuir Park or the, the inch at Perth or something like that, at their boys' club. or I mean, they get signed, they get signed to boys' clubs anymore to come through the, the youth system, but you've got to spot them somewhere, you know. Um, so I think what they're trying to do here, um, if, it gets, if it gets to run, and this is always my concern in football. It's fine to talk about three-year plans, four-year plans, five-year plans. Ultimately, what fans want is they want to see success on the park. So it has to translate quickly into success on the park. And if you're, st if you're seeing relative success with the first team, then punters love 
love the fact that there's a great youth academy, there's kids coming through, and a young Archie Mickelson pops up on Saturday from, you know, almost nowhere and plays 30 minutes for the first team. People love that. But ultimately, you've got to be getting it right on the pitch uh, because lots of fans, and United have a section of fans, as every club does, who are not patient. And, and, and that's the key, getting it all to gel right through, embedding that philosophy, that kind of culture within a club, but also you've got to get it right on the park and you've got to get it right fairly quickly. Otherwise, the rest of it falls apart uh, with, with fans complaining. Indeed, interesting times at United. And talk of the United way there. Uh, the Dundee way is up to the Premiership through the playoffs. And uh, my word, they deserved it. They have hit form exactly the right time of the season, really. And against Kilmarnock um, across two legs, I mean, there was only there was only one team that looked like a Premiership outfit there, and it, it certainly wasn't Tommy Wright's side. Um, Alan, you were there at Rugby Park. Um, what was your takeaway from that game, and across the two games for that matter? Do, do you think, from what you saw first person, um, does that Dundee team look like it's got the makings of one that can make the step up? I think it's got the spine there of a team that can make the step up to the Premiership. I mean, before getting on to how terrific uh, Dundee were, because they absolutely were, uh, Kilmarnock were, were woeful. And that almost uh, colours my... Honking, uh, it? <laughs> that almost colours my attempts to say how good Dundee or otherwise could be in the top flight, because that was... Uh, you know, we'll have spoken many, many, many times, uh, you guys on this podcast, about what a, a Tommy Wright team is, and Goodness me, that's not a Tommy Wright team. It was soulless, it was spineless, it was meek, it surrendered to relegation without a fight. So, um, however, you can only beat what's in front of you, and Dundee did that comprehensively. They should have won more than 4 2 on aggregate over those two games. Make no mistake about that. They, they Particularly in that first half at Rugby Park, they looked like scoring every time they went forward. The, the Kelly defence was a was a mess, but it's it's a fantastic occasion for Dundee. It was a real, you know, myself and uh, and our colleague George Cran were there, and it's one of it was a night that was a, a privilege to be there because I know a lot of Dundee fans who have endured this tough journey over the last two years would uh, have absolutely loved to be there to soak up the celebrations and to have a, a right old night of it. So it was a real privilege to to be there and witness that, and of course it was absolutely deserved. And you, you look through that team and guys like. Jordan McGee was magnificent in midfield. McMullen absolutely tore Brandon Horstrup apart before he was replaced after 33 minutes and has been a what an inspired signing um, on loan from, from Dundee United. And, uh, you know, in the winter transfer window, Cami Kerr, Charlie Adam. I mean, it was just, you go through the team, some wonderful talents there. Special shout out for Danny Mullen. Not always a starter, but what a nuisance. What a, a an, an energetic, combative figure uh, in attack. He was terrific at, at Rugby Park. And yeah, it's, I think there's exciting times ahead for Dundee. I mean, it's, it's counterintuitive to say, but... Sometimes it can be more difficult to get out of this division than it is to necessarily cement yourself in the in the top flight. It's a horrible, turgid division, and it's murder to to get out of. Now they might go up, play with a bit of freedom. They've got talent in that squad, and properly look to to cement their, their status up there. It's it's all positivity at Dens right now. All positive. You know, it's a good point. I mean, I mean, I think Charlie Adam made this after the game that, that he said we've 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 looked better against better teams, and obviously. Let's forget about that mauling on day one to Hearts, but certainly when they when they've played Premiership opposition, they played Hibs in the Cup, St Johnson in the Cup, played Kilmarnock twice. Dundee have looked pretty good in spells, if not for an entire game, and and, and kind of all of those 
matches. So, I mean, that, that, that kind of backs up what you're saying about, you know, maybe it's easier to consolidate in the Premiership than it is to actually get out of the bloody Championship. Absolutely. I mean, until the 70-minute the mark against St Johnston, for example, you know, Dundee looked the, the match of their Premiership uh, opposition, and that, that's the point Charlie made. I mean, he wasn't looking for backslaps for the fact that they managed to be drawing nil nil at the seventy minute mark. That's not his style. However, he was just making the point that they've shown over periods that they can compete and with some strengthening because that will take place. Uh, John Nelms and, and Tim Keys will, I'm sure, support James McPeak over the summer as he looks to strengthen and just tweak. But the great thing is, I don't think you look at the. I mean, uh, you know, you guys can 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 tell me, but do you look at that squad and think that needs an overhaul to compete in the Premiership? Because I, I absolutely don't. Uh, I, I, to be honest with you, I think they'll, they'll, they'll bring a few in. I don't think it needs absolutely ripped up. And from listening to James McPeak as well, I don't think that's his intention either. Um, so, yeah, the, the, there's there's more than enough. There are certainly players in there who are capable of, of playing at the top level and, and actually have, have, have either proved it before or don't need to, <laughs> to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so... I mean, I'm thinking of Charlie Adam. Yeah, all right, Charlie's 35 and, and what have you, and you, and you lose aspects of your game uh, as you get older, um, certainly some of the athletic ones. But, I mean, you, you don't you don't lose the, the kind of left foot that he's got or the brain that he's got. And, and he's certainly proved his effectiveness when he's, when he's played premiership opposition. So I, I'd have no concerns about him and, and certainly a couple of others as well. Um, Jim, it's obviously huge for the club, um, and it's fantastic for the city to have the derbies back. Although you might get a section of United fans that, that would uh, dispute that and would rather see them languishing in the Championship. But uh, frankly, that's ridiculous, isn't it? It really I, is. But I mean, for the Scottish Premiership as well, it's great to have the Dundee Derby back. And um, I mean, it's also it's real fairy tale stuff for for Charlie Adam, as we've just mentioned, and Cami Kerr, guys like that who've who've grown up supporting the club. Um, and are now doing the business on the park and helping them to win promotion back to the Premiership. That is that is the stuff that fans love, and it's the stuff that dreams are made of. Isn't yeah. It? Well, Sean, I, you know what? I, I that's actually a really important point because I, I think the vast bulk of people, vast bulk of, I mean, I'd, I'd say the other night on Twitter, any any right thinking Arab will be delighted to see Dundee back. I mean, my, you know, my oldest boys, you know, spent some oh, seven or eight years right through the youth system at Dens. You know, so my, my you know, our washing line was constantly a flutter with dark blue crests on on, on any given <laughs> Monday after the you'd been travelling around the, the country. You know. Um, uh, that, 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 that's a man from this parish who should know better that we are podcasting at the moment. He's, he can't oh. stay away from work. Mr. Nicholson phoning me there. That's you know? interesting. So, <laughs> um, no, but, um, you know, I, I mean, I think it, it, it's great for the city. It's great for, we, we've done all this. It's great for pubs, it's clubs, it's great for everything. But I, I think you've got to be a peculiar kind of individual if you think that, it's, that you want one of the two city teams, no matter how big a, a D you are, no matter how big an Arab you are, if you want your greatest rivals to languish in a division outside of it, I, I, you know, to me, that's corrosive. You, you, I actually don't think you're a football fan in the way they sense the world. I think you're 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 a kind of an, an, an urban Ned, to be honest with you. If that's your mentality, uh, I mean, I think it's it's fabulous to have them back. I mean, the Derby's great. The Derby's great. You know, I mean, you, you get kind of. Um, d- depending on you know who ends up top six or bottom, if they both end up in the same, but, but you've got four four great derbies a year. You've got four full houses. You've got banter and crack, and, and uh, you know right through the working environment all week. Whether you're a car mechanic, whether it's a law office, uh, among journalists or whatever. So I think it, it's it's great now. 
Looking, I mean, you know, I think it's a combination of things here. I think, you know, I'll probably touch on this in my column on Saturday, but Tim Keyes, um, I've written about this often, Tim Keyes and John Nelms deserve a great deal of credit as well because they stuck with the programme at Dens. You know, I've been critical of them because when they went down, they had a chance when United were down to, to, to you know, re-embroider themselves and, 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 you know, market the club better and maybe get the next generation of kids and all the rest of it. I think that went by the, by the, the board, but that's by the by now. They're back up. And they've definitely got the nucleus of his side there. People like McMullen uh, and McGowan and, and uh, you know, uh, Charlie stands on his own, but McMullen, McGowan, you know, people like Fontaine and Ashcroft, Cammy Kerr, they've done it before. They've played at a higher level. They've got all the ability in the world to do it. Mullen, I think, is a very underrated player. I liked him when they signed him. I think he's starting to come at his four now. Charlie, <coughs> year to go on his contract, but, you know, it, it almost goes without saying. He's got so much ability that, that uh, um, it's frightening. So with a bit of kind of tweaking... Um, then Dundee, I think, can undoubtedly be a, um, a relatively decent force in, in, in the Premiership. And of course, you know, they'll, they'll be competing with United for local talent and all the rest of it because they'll have to figure out what they're doing. There's been plenty of good stuff going on at youth level at Dens as well. So you've got the two of them back, uh, you know, next season in, in the Premiership. And from a Dens perspective, it, it, it's a great thing. And I don't think a huge amount of strengthening will be, will be needed, but there will be some um, because playing at that level week in, week out, I think is a different kettle of fish, you know, because you're playing at a slightly higher tempo, a slightly uh, tougher mentality, um, and, and the physical and mental demands, I think, are, are, are increased. And therefore, I think they'll, they'll need a slightly bigger squad. But, you know, fair play, uh, uh, because there was a time, you know, regularly on a Saturday morning, I'd see McCollum and I was saying, look, great that they're sticking with James McPake because there were people calling for him to go. I mean, you know, a, a Dundee fan of my acquaintance was bumping his gums the other day just before the playoff. Oh, he's got to go. I said, how could he possibly go? If the man gets you up, how could you possibly get rid of him? He deserves that crack. I said it last week in the comedy. Deserves a crack at the, at the Premiership next season. So I think, you know, at the moment, um, let's just sit back and enjoy what they've done because what they've done is brilliant. They've started to, they found the holy grail of consistency late on and they started to gel as a team late on. And it was it was swinging from the chandelier stuff, wasn't it? You know, <laughs> <laughs> certainly was quite quite literally in one man's case, indeed. Um, Alan, because of where Dundee have been historically, um, the, the championship's not a division that their fans are are ever going to accept uh, the club being for any sort of length of time at all. And I mean, you could you could say that's fair enough because. You know, amongst other things, I think Jim's made the point before that they're, they're, they're the seventh best supporter club in Scotland. Um, so they're amongst that, that group of clubs who look at the likes of St. Johnston, just 25 minutes down the road, winning two cups in one season, and they think, well, why not us? You know, and two cups is, is ridiculous, as we'll come on to. But, you know, the general point stands. And I think John Nelms kind of made that very point to you at Rugby Park. Um I mean, when when you spoke to him, how did he strike you? Because we we don't hear from him all that often. Was he was he elated? Was he relieved? Um, he certainly he certainly wasn't shy. Whatever he was in setting out his aims. No, he was emboldened, and for all uh, John and for that matter, James McBake uh, has have received criticism. You could absolutely see how much it meant to him. Like he wants to succeed with this football club. He wants to guide it up the divisions and secure at least top six football. And it was interesting when he was discussing having regular chats with Steve Brown. He obviously um, has an amicable relationship with the St. Johnston chairman and does see them as the 
the benchmark. I think the entirety of Scottish football that uh, out with Rangers and Celtic now look at St Johnston and say, well, uh, you know, how how do we get a little bit of that? Uh, so Dundee will be no different. But you know, you say how was he, and, and he was absolutely elated. Uh, the, the lack of media that John Nelms does can perhaps make him uh, somewhat standoffish. Certainly hard to get to know, um, uh, but. In that those interviews that he did, you could see just how much the the promotion meant to him, and they evidently don't want to rest on their laurels. And just to to expand on what what Jim was saying, I'm absolutely delighted for for James McBaker. I think it's a it's mutually beneficial that John Nelms is stuck with James McBaker, and and now James McBaker has given them that reward because you look at shipping six at Hearts, you look at mm. losing to Air, you look at losing at home to Queen of the South. These were moments where there was a lot of pressure on James McBaker's shoulders. There was a lot of scrutiny on his position, but he stuck to the job. He's built a together, tight knit squad, full of belief, full of quality, and. For all we talk about Dundee's pedigree, the history, this assumption that they should have got out of the championship, it's a bloody hard division to get out of. You know, why do ask Dunfermline about the, the, how important a fan base is? A fan base doesn't mean you get promoted from the championship. No, so uh, he deserves absolute credit for guiding this club back to the top flight and repairing what was a, a club utterly shattered in terms of personnel and morale when they went rele- uh, when they were relegated in 2019. It is not a small job that he's done and he deserves credit for sticking at it. Magic. Indeed, just to finish off with Dundee then maybe, Jim, um, certainly after the game with Charlie Adam saying he hopes it's uh, United and Rangers in the first two games for Dundee, um, and he's very much looking forward to those. Hopefully with fans there, you would think, certainly fingers crossed in that front. Um Rugby Park must have been an odd one for, for Kilmarnock fans because they, they wait all year to see a game and then they have to watch their side getting relegated. So it doesn't get much worse than that. But certainly on TV for the game at Dens Park, it, it, it sounded to me like the, the fans had a, had a hell of a role to play in that. They were they were loud. You could hear them throughout the 90 minutes and, and the, the players seemed to respond to that. Um did you, did you sense that when you were watching it as well? And, and do you think that's an indication of the difference fans in the ground can make? Because we've spoken about this all mm. season, the, the way that we think players have maybe got used to playing in front of nobody. It, it certainly seemed to have an impact on them at Dens Park, playing in front of fans. I, I think they can make uh, they can undoubtedly make a difference. The problem is it can go one of two ways. I mean, we heard yeah. the Kelly, we heard the Kelly fans, you know, the storm of booing, the crescendo of kind of uh, <clears throat> outcry, you know, uh, when, when it became obvious that their their, their Premiership days after twenty seven seasons or something were were numbered, you know. But I thought what you, what you heard from the Dundee fans in the first game was just hunger, just hunger. Um, uh, hunger and delight at being back. Hunger and delight at you know at the, the, the fact that it was you know the, the return to the promised land of you want was within touching distance. And I think and, and you know the Dundee and United fans can be you know you and I sit often in that that main stand at Dens. I mean, and over the years I've sat there and I've I've listened to guys some some of the guys I was at school with you know can uh, be and some brutal, oh, can they can be really you know uh, and it transmits. I don't care what anybody says that sort of stuff transmits. You've got to be a strong mentality, a strong. Character 
character to put away. We forget sometimes that football players and, and management and coaches are like the rest of us. They've got everyday family issues and concerns, health, financial worries, just the general ups and downs of life, you know. And I think anybody that thinks when you're screeching and bawling at guys that it doesn't get to them, you know, far, far better to encourage. You want to, you know, I've always said this, you want to boo guys, boo them when they come off the park. Don't boo and scream and bawl at them when they're on the park trying to do their job. You know, encourage, encourage, encourage. Think what you would do with your kids, you know. Um, and I think that the Dundee fans gave them a terrific lift. I mean, Dundee, I mean, look, you can overdo this. And I think Peter and Jimmy Marr discovered when they went down the the ill-fated road of throwing money at, at big, you know, big names, that the, the support wasn't there as it was in the 40s and 50s when, you know, the Dundees and the Hibs and the Hearts and the Aberdeens got 25,000 and more average. And that was gone. But a, a good going Dundee side, a really, you know, Dundee getting a crack at top six for three or four, five consecutive years would be playing to six, seven, eight thousand, you know. Um, so there's potential there to be built on uh, uh, again. And and it was terrific to see him the other night. I have to say, I, I was delighted for James McPake. I was delighted, I have to say, Specifically for Cami Kerr. Cami and my, my youngest boy went through school together. I, 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 I love Cami. He is the, he is the utter epitome of what a, a local boy who supports his club and loves his own club, uh, uh, you know, does when he's wearing his shirt. He's had his chances to go elsewhere. He's stuck with the programme. I bet there's times when he's thought, have I done the right thing here when he was warming the bench and all the rest of it? He's come back, seems to have made the position his own. So for him, I was absolutely delighted because, he, you know, he is an absolutely terrific, terrific competitor. You never, ever get less than everything he's got in the tank. So I was delighted for Cammy. Well, Jimmy, you've, you've provided me again with a decent link to move on to St Johnston there, we're talking about a hometown hero for Dundee. <laughs> I think St Johnston saw one with David Wotherspoon at Hamden as well, and we, we certainly saw what it meant to him at full time, um, swearing and bursting into tears <laughs> live on BBC <laughs> uh, BBC One after that one, which was uh, a wonderful <laughs> display of emotion from the boy. But we'll come on to him. I think, I mean, St Johnston... No trophies in 130 years. They've now won three in seven years. Two in the one season. Sean Rooney scored the winner in both. Alan, Sean Rooney, what on earth can we say about him? It's, it's, it's an absolutely incredible Scottish football story, this guy's sort of explosion into, into the consciousness. Just even this season, he, he's put a lot of hard work in over a lot of years and our uh, our colleague Eric Nicholson told this story fantastically in the run-up to the cup final and, and that was prescient, wasn't it? But what what an incredible story for him as well. Two cup finals, two winning goals, and and he's a St Johnson legend. Absolutely, and it's just a it's a fantastic story of perseverance and never giving up and having absolute belief in yourself. And he is genuinely, as well as being a St Johnston legend now, icon, one of the best ever. He is an inspiration to every young footballer in, in Scotland and beyond. He's a, a lesson that you can get written off, you can get released, you can get pelters from the stand, you can apparently be on your way down the leagues. But if you always have belief in yourself, if you find the right club, if you find yourself in the right dressing room, then the sky's the limit. You can do something really special. I mean, I remember watching Sean when he had a an okay season with Dunfermline in League One, but he got plenty of stick from the stands. He wasn't Mr. Popular. He went he was, you know, he at times he was released. He went down to York City, didn't have a fantastic time. It's not a player who you looked at and thought, that's an upward trajectory. But he completely defied those odds and 
it's he's got there through hard graft, through force of personality, through port, uh, you know positivity, and also let's not let's not kind of uh, disregard the fact that he's playing exceptional football. That doesn't just happen either. He's worked on his game. He's got better. He's bigger, stronger, faster, fitter than he's ever been, and he's a force of nature down that uh, right wing back role. You know, he's I, I look at the way he's out jumped poor four million pound Josh Doig. I've got a lot of time for Josh, but he'll go down to English football. He'll play at a high level and say to himself, Christ, I didn't get many tougher games than I did against Sean Rooney uh, up mm-hmm. in Scotland. So uh, he's just, uh, in every conceivable way you can judge Sean Rooney, he is a bit special and is someone that should be a, an inspiration to anyone who, who looks upon him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure he is for, for every St. Johnson supporter at this point, if nothing else. But, um, I mean, Jimmy, he's, he's obviously a, he's played a huge role for St. Johnson this season, but as everybody else in that team, he's just a cog in that machine, in a sense, albeit a, a very high-profile one. But we've spoken loads of times about that system at St. Johnston and the solidity that it gives them and, and obviously the the foundation for what it, they've been able to achieve off the back of it is, is un, it's unbelievable. I mean, every player knows what their job is in that team. Every player does their job, which is another thing. Um, and as a result, I think we've said Saints have never really looked overrun at any point since the turn of the year. And that performance against Hibs in the Scottish Cup final there, that's just about the perfect example of what we've been talking about, yeah. isn't it? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think there, there are many things that flow from this, Sean. I mean, one, you know, three trophies in, in that, this really short space of time, as you say, and, you know, Serious suggestions that we might have to introduce a handicap system to stop St John's from winning everything, you know, uh, and 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 fight off applications for the the English Premier League, you know. I mean, it's just it's, it's, it's beyond belief what, what they have achieved. And and you know what, the thing is, I mean, you, you automatically think things can't get any better. You know what will happen? I mean, I've I've written. I kind of felt as though it was conflicting in my last two columns because I said that Saints, if they continue with success and they win the cup, they might actually find it hard to hang on to some players and, and the next week I found myself saying but the other corollary and they're both through the other corollary of that is, is actually they become a very attractive place now for, for players who maybe a season or two ago might have went St Johnson okay you've got a choice St Johnson are after you or Hibs are and now people are looking and going wow two cup wins in a season Callum Davidson is manager I think I'll, go, I think I'll head to McDermott Park I mean there's a cultural shift here a cultural change here you know um, I mean I, I, Alan made a good point earlier on I mean you can argue a club like Dunfermline historically would have been better supported than, 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 than St. Johnson. Bigger home, core support, much much bigger potential and all the rest of it. But it hasn't actually done them any good, you know. I mean, so, the, you know, in the modern world, f- football isn't just about support. We've seen that in England with clubs that survive in the in the top league who are not necessarily massively supported at the gates or whatever. I know there's a big difference down there with TV money and all the rest of it. But Saints are, are, are they're, they're well run off the park. They now have access, you know, through European football and the cash that, that these two cup triumphs have brought in to uh, even further strengthen and solidify themselves. They become more attractive for other players. They become attractive for players who are, uh, uh, might be thinking, do I sign a new deal? Do I not? Yes, I will, because things are going brilliantly here. There is nothing breeds success like success. And and, and th- 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 you were right to use the, the phrase cog in the wheel, because that's what they are. I mean, I wouldn't pick out, I wouldn't single out any individual. There, there are wonderful tales, local boys like Spoonie, who, who I was a big admirer of at Hibs. I, I never, I could never quite figure out why Hibs let him go. But he said, you know, he'll hit the three hundred game mark for St. Johnson. No, I, th- with, I think the reason for that is Pat Fenlon. 
Yeah, well, I, I, I know the man, the man. The man I ambushed at Tannadice, I jumped out from behind a pillar with a camera crew, and he nearly uh, <laughs> he nearly wet himself because he thought he thought it was the best kept secret in town. But my sources were immaculate. <laughs> um, anyhow, I, again, I, I digress. This is my want, but you know, when you look through that side, and and the, the, they are just a terrific side. That you know, the Holy Grail, as I said earlier on, is consistency. Early on in the season, you know, I mean, you know, to some extent, you're thinking it. I mean, I don't think for a minute that Callum Davidson was was had the sniper lining up the way that James McPake did but you know in both camps people were going well, what's going on here I mean was it was it 12 games or something where, you know at the start of the season where, where Saints were struggling you know and people were thinking what's, what's happening here but look how they found consistency found the style found the system of play and it's just it's rewarded them fantastically well and, and, and I don't see why they can't continue uh, you know to, uh, on the upward trajectory and, and with people like there are you know I mean, you know when you are an older journalist and I've given you two considerable numbers of years but you know you still love the game you're passionate about the game and I have to say I, I kind of choked up watching Spoonie's interview as well because mm. the, w- 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 what it meant what it meant to him as a local guy what it meant to fans what it means to you as a human being you know we're all dads we've had kids that you know play football or play sport or or achieve things in in, in, in different areas of life you know and to watch to watch a boy and quite a gentle boy in many respects not on the football field he's a terrier on the football field but a gentle good man you know um, you know, uh, tearing up like that, I think caught us all. It just choked us all with, with what he and St. Johnston had achieved on the day. It was wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, I, I don't think he was the only St. Johnston fan in tears at that point. I think um, <laughs> I, I, I certainly was. I'm not not ashamed to admit no, it, boys. Indeed, I was indeed. a I was a, a dribbling mess at full time. <laughs> and for the next forty eight hours, well, um, you've been a dribbling mess in fear. You usually look like throat. Yeah, that's a listen. That's a fair point. I can't I can't deny that. It got it got. Uh, it, it started there and it got substantially less dignified as time went on. Um, <laughs> but here we are, on the road to recovery. Oh, um, Alan, just a minute, Alan, um, Jockey Scott had, had talked before the game um, about the, the, the last Scottish side outside the Rangers of Celtic to do a, a domestic cup double, which of course was the Aberdeen side of uh, himself and Alex Smith in 89-90. Um, he said uh, St Johnston... Um, Managing to do it this year would, would outstrip the the achievement uh, back then, um, given the disparity and 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 budgets and players and what have you. I mean, where where, where do you think a a St Johnston double at this point stands in the in the annals of Scottish football history? An argument can definitely be made for it being the greatest domestic achievement from any club. You could, uh, you've you know, you can go back and you look at. Straight back from the you know the Lisbon Lions win in the European Cup, you look at that double we mentioned from Aberdeen. You've had trebles along the way. You've had a lot of laudable uh, achievements, but in the context of the financial disparity that is within Scottish football, in the context of how much the game has changed from when from the sixties, seventies, and eighties, when it was a more um, it was a more level playing field, never purely level, but it wasn't dictated by money, sponsorship, revenue, crowds the way it is now. When you put it in that context, uh, it's a, a staggering achievement. It's absolutely staggering, and not only did they win those trophies, but they beat an absolutely magnificent 
Rangers team along the way, which was perhaps the stick that St Johnston were being beaten by with. You know, it's uh, well, well, granted you've won the, you know, you've won this, you've won that, but you know, did, have you beaten the best team in the country along the way? Well, they did that on their way to winning the Scottish Cup. That was just the icing on the cake, and just batted aside any little, um, you know, not not criticisms, but anything that would perhaps negate the achievement. Um, so. Yeah, I mean it's 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 hard to compare things from different eras, and it's a it's a debate that's it's made for uh, for pubs and, and pints rather than any sort of definitive answer. But absolutely, you can argue that this is the greatest ever. I'll be definitive about it, Alan. Bloody <laughs> is, and I, and I wouldn't hear different. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't there going to say no. No, you, you you know what I think. I think you know at the end of the day, I was saying to you, I was having a blurry big Tony Asgard time the other day. We were chewing the fat, just generally, not just about United, generally about the game. You know, we're all football enthusiasts, and I, I think one of the things I say to him is, you know, when you take it at heart, football's about a lot of things, about communities, about memories, going with your dad, your granddad, your uncle, your your wife, your girlfriend, you know, your mates. It's it's all of that wrapped up. It's you know, in in a big mesh of things, but ultimately, at its heart, football is theatre. Football is theatre. It's it, it's bread and circuses. It's there to <clears throat> to entertain, you know, to make you laugh, to make you cry, to make you roar with rage and and and, and joy and all the rest of it. And St. Johnson's progress this season and the two cups have done that. And and, and the Scottish Cup's the biggie. You know, there's there's no point in denying it. the League Cup's great, but the Scottish Cup is the biggie. I mean, even after United had broken their barrier and you know won the two the two League Cups and then they won the league. It was the Scottish Cup they wanted their hands on. They did that in '94, and, and that—that's the biggie. That's the one that has the—it's got the mark. It's got the imprimatur on it. You know, the Scot. This is the big one that you win, and, and, and Saints have done that twice now. You know, in a very, very short space of time after over a century of kind of being silverware free. Uh, but ultimately, it's theatre, and, and and they've entertained royally, uh, and and they have given us a, a, that sense of occasion, that sense of place. I mean, I, I've covered games. People will say to me, did you cover XYZ game? And I go, I can't remember. I've covered so many o- over 30 odd years. But there are, there are always certain ones that stand out. Now, I didn't cover this one, but there are there are games that stand out. I mean, I, you know, I, I covered the, uh, you know, I was a television reporter the, when Saints won the Cup at, at Parkhead against United. The shortest ever gig that day, because I drew that we drew a lot. And I got the, I, I drew the lot to interview the, the losing manager so Jackie McNamara's interviews took you literally about 45 oh, seconds yeah. you know two <laughs> questions and he was gone um, <clears throat> I was glad that didn't interview Tommy because he was waxing lyrical about half an hour later but you know but that day sticks in my mind for working around the sense of occasion the sense of history and this is another one just watching it you know watching it on the telly as most of us were was just quite incredible it, it will live long 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 in the memories it's the kind of thing that you'll tell people about in 10, 20, 30, 40 years time fabulous Absolutely and Jim just to, just to stick with you for a second Let's talk about the Brown family for, for just a second because um, I mean if this is if this is not the the greatest justification for playing the long game in Scottish football, <laughs> I can't think of a better one. I mean they, they've they've I mean Jeff I think it was nineteen eighty six that Jeff Brown came into the club when they were in dire dire straits financially, and he's run the club uh, in a very very particular way. His son Steve took over, continued with that very much so. And look at us now. There we go. There, three trophies in seven years. It's taken a hell of a long time, but talk about vindication for an approach. 
Uh, you notice that there, Mister Temple? The objectivity going right out the window there. Look at look at us now. Us, you know, I, know, right? I know, I know, I <laughs> know. these centies. The objectivity went out the window weeks and weeks ago this season, Jim. Ah, we know that. Me. We know that. And that's fair enough. Um, no, but I mean, I, I think you know. I, I mean, some of us are old enough to remember when Saints were in perilous trouble. You know, and and. The old, I mean, I've got kind of fond memories of the old Muirton Park. I mean, that, that, that's where kind of Stuart Cosgrove and I got to know each other best first because quite a few Stuart's mates were at school with me in Dundee. Who was so, kicking who's he then? Uh, well, he was, he was actually, he was normally saving me from the Perth pack, to be honest with you, you know, <laughs> escorting me back to the train station, going, he's one of the few Dundonians, it's okay, you know. Um, but, but the, the, you know, the, the, the truth of the matter is Saints came perilously close when, when Jeff Brown took over to, I think, frankly, going out of existence. So the old farmer, Mr. McDermott, gave them the, the land, you know, up where the park is now. I mean, at the time, they were playing to kind of, you know, crowds that some junior clubs could, uh, yeah, could have doubled. Um it was all going horribly wrong for them. And, and that long game, as you say, has been quite spectacular. They've had their ups and downs. They've been up up the division, down the division. They've had their, their, their ups and downs. But by and large, he's made few poor managerial choices. Um, <clears throat> he's stuck with a fairly rigid financial programme. They've never lived beyond their means. They've got money in the bank. They've got a terrific stadium. I, I, I always get angry. And I had to correct a guy uh, the other day. I was out for a run the other day and I met a mate of mine. And he, you know, and he was on about St. Johnson, who had support base. I said, look... From a, from a town of what Perth forty five thousand, yeah, and they've almost drawn that. historically on 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 the on the county. We know that Ken Ross and Blair and all the rest of it. But so have other teams. So have Dundee and uh, and United increasingly in, in, in recent years. So you know, per head of population, St Johnson aren't any worse supported than any other club in Scottish football. This is a, this is a nonsense. I've tried to put the bed umpteen times. You know, they're, they're relatively as well supported as anyone else. You know, um, <clears throat> but they've lived within their means. Um, now, it was always going to be a hard act to follow, and I wasn't always entirely sure that Stevie wanted it. You know, we saw that at uh, much less, uh, a much shorter space of time. Eddie Thompson went uh, under tragic circumstances when Eddie died, um, uh, and Stephen stepped in. Um, United fan, but didn't particularly want to be in that hot seat. And I think to some extent, Stevie Brown w- w- was similar, but, you know, he, he has carried on. With it, with with the kind of brown family mentality, don't live beyond your means. Don't push the boat too far. Um, have the courage of your convictions, the strength of your convictions. When everybody's kind of telling you what you're doing wrong, yeah, and that's where strong leadership is really important. Really important from from boardroom level. And Saints have done. He said good people around about as well. And a lot of people up there that stand and all the rest on the board. They're good people. They're smart people. And 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 they, they, you know, you, Sean, you sometimes words are not enough. You simply can't give them sufficient credit for the job that they've done at Saints. And by the way, the same things, the same revolution's been going on at Saints in terms of youth and all that we talked about United, that kind of, that great youth setup and all the rest of it. You know, there's lots of good kids coming through the system there. Lots of them, you know, have come through the system. So uh, the, the Brown family, they are a dynasty. Uh, and what they've done at St. Johnson will, I suspect, be very, very difficult if it's ever replicated again in Scottish football, it truly has been a, 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 a tale of, of, of magnificent success. It's been fantastic. You know, both of them are pretty understated. Jeff's pretty understated. I used to, I think I've said this before in the podcast, I used to drop in to see him maybe every couple of months or something on the way up to St. John's or something. You're going to see him at GS Brown up there in the cars and you sit and chew the fat, 10 minutes on golf, 10 minutes on horse racing, and then into football. And he was also a great source. He knew everything. Uh, by the way, enormously respected throughout the game. 
everybody, you know, whether it was Peter Lawl at Celtic or whoever was at Rangers at the time, enormously respected throughout the game, Jeff. You know, didn't suffer fools gladly. Um, it was amazing that he spent time with me in, in that case, you know, but didn't suffer fools gladly. And, and, and Stevie, Stevie's kind of stepped into the old man's shoes brilliantly as well. You know he's um, he, he's kind of you know he's got his critics, but um, the, the success and what they've achieved speaks for itself. You know, I mean, you can you can fire off a thousand words in print or a thousand words in a podcast or on a broadcast. The bottom line is what they've achieved speaks for itself on the park. Well, that's us done. Nearly sixty minutes on the football here, so uh, I think it's time we uh, stopped and so we could get off and talk about the horse racing as we like to do. Obviously, so <laughs> uh, a remarkable weekend for football in Tayside. Thanks very much for joining us, everybody, and we'll catch you next week. Cheers. If you like the podcast, we'd be grateful if you tell your pals about it, or even better, leave a review or a simple rating on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. All that really helps people to find Talking Football, and that means a lot to us. Don't forget too to pick up your copy of The Courier Monday to Saturday, or go to thecourier.co.uk slash subscribe to find out how to get our award-winning sport, business and local journalism across Tayside and Fife in the way that's right for you. The Courier. Local matters.